0: Chapter 7. Assemble Your Team Preparing to Build Your Team At this point, you know the principles of culture and the blueprint for change. But you may be asking yourself, How the heck am I going to do this? The answer is simple. You're not. You're going to co-create it. Culture is inherently more than just about you. So you're going to need a team to do it. Anytime you find yourself thinking you're in this alone, you've regressed. The best leaders are people who have assembled the right team around them to take care of just about everything. Yes, everything. As a leader, your job is vision, inspiration, and decision-making. Consider this quote generally attributed to David Packard, one of the two founders of Hewlett-Packard. Quote, No company can consistently grow revenues faster than its ability to get enough of the right people to implement that growth and still become a great company. And if a company consistently grows revenue faster than its ability to get enough of the right people to implement that growth, it will not simply stagnate, it will fail, End quote. Culture is made up of people. So as long as there are people in a group, there's culture. Companies like Google and Facebook have realized that building up a culture is the key to growth, while companies like Enron let like culture slip to the wayside and violated their own principles. Leaders who know the power of culture know that they can create teams and tribes that self-manage and produce world-changing results. Meanwhile, managers who simply focus on results and try to manipulate individuals are constantly banging their heads against the wall. It's leaders like Tony Shea, Richard Branson, Steve Jobs, and Howard Schultz who have constantly said that culture is their only real strategic advantage. In this section, we will help you to figure out who you need and what to look for when you are preparing to build your team. Time for the team. Having a team by your side will not only make this process of cultural transformation easy, but fun. However, it may not be fun at first. In fact, the very people you want to help may be extremely resistant at first. But that's not a bad thing. Resistant people are actually highly passionate, and they are very engaged. Otherwise, they would leave or simply not do their work, in which case you should ask them to leave. These frustrated people will one day be your converts. The grand irony is that even if it's a change people want, they often won't like it at first because they're not used to it. Beware of this, especially if it's a change that creates more freedom in their work. This is not freedom as in wear anything you want, this is freedom as in you are now free to shape your goals, make decisions, etc. People like being told what to do because it's comfortable and it's safe. As Dan Mazik says in a biblical reference, people like being in Egypt because it's known. Even if they were slaves, it's much more comfortable than facing the desert where there is freedom, but you also have to figure out how to get your own food. The thing to remember is, if you're a leader, you're not in this to be liked. You're in this to serve, both your customer and your team. So choose what you do based on your vision and values, and let come what may. The driver. These days, the best employees are known as drivers. A driver is someone who can drive any initiative from start to completion. Drivers don't make excuses. They are resourceful, they don't ask permission, and they seek forgiveness if they happen to mess up. Drivers work well in startup environments where speed is crucial. They thrive working for other drivers who also value results above all else. Zappos Insights was a startup when it began. We were tasked with launching a new business without being able to use the Zappos.com marketing resources During this time, I had the pleasure of working with a real driver at the company, Donovan Robertson. He had never started a business or worked in marketing, but he loved learning and made no excuses. When we partnered on launching the first event, we accidentally promised the company that it would sell out, but we didn't have a full class, and the ticket price was a hefty $5,000. Donovan had been a tour guide at Zappos and thought about the brand-name corporate clients that came through. He proceeded to dial for dollars, even though he had never... Been in sales. This type of behavior, doing whatever it takes to make it happen, is what drivers do. The result actually set the standard for the culture. From that point on, within our team, we built a philosophy around publicly committing in order to make sure we followed through. We would sell events that were not even created because if there were buyers, there was a need. Without buyers, why create the course? We also developed confidence in our ability to deliver. There's just one problem. Not all companies are startups, and the successful startups will one day mature out of that stage and face the challenges of growth. The challenge of growth is to maintain a consistent experience without limiting innovation. When this happens, drivers can be a liability. A startup can afford to make more mistakes because it can easily pivot in a new direction, but a larger company has more at risk. So what can we do here? How do we mitigate risk? without creating a debilitating bureaucracy. Once again, it goes back to whom we hire. Instead of looking for drivers, see whom you can train to be corporate navigators. The Corporate Navigator Rocco shot out of bed in the middle of the night. Oh my God, he exclaimed. We were about to roll out a new feature of the Zappos family tour. There would be a room where tour guests could hear live customer calls. Everyone thought it was brilliant and the phone system was set up to broadcast live calls by speakerphone. The night before it was going to roll out, Rocco realized that the 25,000 guests who would come through the tour that year might hear live credit card information that could easily be stolen. While the chance would be rare, our business could be shut down due to such a transgression, but Rocco was able to stop it. Introducing the Corporate Navigator. A Corporate Navigator is someone who could look out for the interests of the entire organization while still focusing on their role within the business. It sounds simple, but it's truly an art. Here is how a corporate navigator does it. Knows the Relationships As organizations become flatter, and the traditional command and control style management becomes slower to adapt to change, relationships will be the way work gets done. Who has the right information? Who knows the right person? Who has seen that challenge before? The corporate navigator does not necessarily need to know all these things. She or he just has to know the person who does know. Understand what's important to the organization. The bigger the organization, the more stakeholders there are. Customers, clients, vendors, partners, legal department, finance department, tax department. It's too hard for managers to see all the decisions... That need to be made so they need employees who will think like an owner the corporate navigator not only thinks like an owner but can help guide decisions on behalf of the owner knows how to use influence as a currency most companies have no shortage of ideas it's delivering that makes the difference but before it can be implemented an idea must be selected over other ideas because with limited resources saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else Skills of influence are a key characteristic of the corporate navigator and include sharing ideas in a language which others are receptive to, demonstrating insight as to how the idea plays into the larger mission, showing proof that the idea has a high chance of success, thinking through what resources would be required before the idea is even presented, and conveying the idea in less than 12 minutes, then responding to where the interest lies ultimately lets go of their own agenda. When it comes to decision-making, the team's interest wins over an individual's interest, and the company's interest wins over the team interest. Knowing when to hold on to an idea because it's in everyone's best interests, and knowing when to let go of an idea and move on is a key sense the corporate navigator must have. The best way you can train a corporate navigator is to model these behaviors yourself and share your thinking out loud as you go. When people understand why you make the decisions you do, they can use that same logic when you are not around. If you're looking for one for your team, then make sure to ask questions that determine how they act and think when there are many different priorities at play. Do they get held up and stressed? Or do they have a process for thinking through it? Their best answer could be a question right back at you to help them clarify what's important to the organization the subculture. You've assembled your team. If your team is the entire company, then everything you're doing is your culture. However, if you have a team in a larger company, then this is really about creating a subculture. A subculture is a culture that is unique and yet in alignment with the larger culture. For example, the culture of a group of developers will be much different from that of a group of marketers. In order to build a strong subculture, these two points I just mentioned must be in balance. If your subculture is not unique, then that means the personality of the group is not shining through, and so people are not being completely themselves. And if the subculture is too unique, then it can go rogue by falling out of touch with the rest of the company and acting dangerously independent. Here are ways to maintain both. 1. Look at the company's overall values and determine your unique expression of them. Ideally, you have values or principles to go on. Get the team together and have fun brainstorming what each value means to your group. You can imagine it this way. If a stranger were given your core values and then spent a week with your team, how would they see those core values in action? 2. Allow people to express themselves. Unless you work in an environment where personal expression is not allowed for safety reasons, let people decorate their areas however they please. Let them share what they're passionate about and what they find funny, and include ways for people to blow off steam. This can be as simple as having Nerf guns or a foam football at the office. If you ever run into the problem of people not spending enough time on work itself, then it's often an issue of their either not having a challenge they are interested in solving, or of being scared to approach it. A one-on-one coaching conversation can help with either. Three, stay in touch with other departments. While it's very tempting to stay busy with your team's projects, if you're not communicating with the rest of the company, it can create a feeling of ill will, distance, or even jealousy. The answer is to stay in touch not only by giving updates, but also by asking for feedback from other departments and spending time together, such as at a group potluck lunch. Random acts of kindness are always appreciated, such as sending breakfast bagels to another group one morning. The Culture Crew If you're looking to create changes that go across the organization, it will be helpful to work with others who are not on your team. This is your culture crew. Your group of superheroes. Your band of merry pranksters. You guys are the underdogs. You're the, okay, enough of the drama, let's get to it. People from across the organization. If you are going to connect with a group that you do not directly work with, don't just open it up to everyone and their mother. Make it exclusive. You want the best and the most passionate. So announce that you're forming a culture crew and you would like to select five people who are passionate about creating a great place to work. Ask them to email you and say what they would like to contribute to the group. You can give the group a fun name. Always best not to take yourself too seriously. Once you select your people, have a first project in mind. Something that would be a great quick win that would get everyone excited and rally together. You may want to focus on that entirely at first, and then later determine how often you're going to meet. Your format for the meetings, how you share ideas, how you select ideas, etc. It's really up to you how to run it, but keep in mind that you have a group of volunteers here. There are many other things they could be doing with their time. How will you keep it interesting, exciting, and fun? Working within your own team. If you are working with your own team members, make sure to set up a new meeting specifically for this purpose and make sure to make it opt-in. If you select the people and make it mandatory, there will be a big energy drain in the room. If everyone who is there truly wants to be there, then your meetings will be amazing. The support network. The mentor. No matter what you're doing, It's always helpful to have an advisor or mentor to help you through it. Ideally, this is a person who is not vested in your success. It's someone who wants you to succeed just to see you succeed, as opposed to someone having a financial interest. You may have a person in mind. Whether you do or do not, consider these tips. Know what you're looking for. What guidance and information are you looking for? What are your weaknesses? What are your blind spots? Look within the organization. Talk to people who have been in the organization for a while. Ask them who they think would be good or just approach someone. Check through LinkedIn. If you can't find someone within the organization, look outside. LinkedIn is an excellent resource. Look for people at similar sized organizations, especially those who clearly work directly with people as opposed to those in operations, finance, etc. Start by simply asking for advice. Don't start by asking, will you be my mentor? That feels like too big of a commitment. Besides, that person may not be the right one for you. Instead, start by asking for advice on a particular issue and see how they respond. Damon D'Amour, CEO of WayFounder.com, found the perfect beta test for you and the mentor. Take their advice, use it, and report back. You'll see if it's good advice, and the mentor will see you are serious about success. Do something for them. Make sure not to take them for granted, pay for meals. Send them a gift, and a well-thought thank you card is always very meaningful. The Mastermind The Mastermind concept comes from Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. He was tasked by Andrew Carnegie to meet with the richest and most successful people in America and determine the patterns they all followed. He noted that each of them had a council that he named a Mastermind group. The standard size of the group is 7 to 10 people. The benefits of a Mastermind are support, different perspectives and coaching, Resources or knowledge of resources. Accountability, perhaps the most important part. Members of a mastermind group should have Similar passion, drive, and commitment. Diverse backgrounds and skill sets. A track record of being resourceful and helping solve problems. Masterminds meet on a regular basis, anywhere from weekly to yearly, and are often facilitated to make sure members have time to speak. There are many formats you can use. Here is a simple one. One. Go around and share what you're working on and any challenges. 2. After everyone speaks, select a few challenges to talk about as a group. 3. For each challenge discussed, start with a round of only asking questions, no solutions. 4. Once that round is over, have each person state his or her final advice. 5. Have the person with the challenge commit to a next step that the group will check on at the next meeting. 6. Repeat with the other challenges. And make sure to have someone write down the main points and accountability tasks. And for more information and ideas, see the book Meet and Grow Rich by Joe Vitale.